It's going to be Joel 2, 30-32 for a sermon I've entitled, Wrath and Mercy in the Day of the Lord. I'm going to back up to 28 just to get some context. And here's what it says. It'll come about after this that I will pour out my spirit on all mankind, and your sons and daughters will prophesy, your old men will dream dreams, and your young men will see visions. Even on the male and female servants, I will pour out my spirit in that day. And then our text for this morning. I will display wonders in the sky and on the earth, blood and fire and columns of smoke. The sun will be turned to darkness and the moon into blood before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes. And it will come about that whoever calls upon the name of the Lord will be delivered. For on Mount Zion and in Jerusalem, there will be those who escape, as the Lord has said, even among the survivors whom the Lord calls. Well, tomorrow night's Halloween and millions of American kids are going to be going door to door and dressed in scary costumes and begging candy from their neighbors. Well, back in 1938, it wasn't only the kids who were scaring people on Halloween, but a group of adults caused quite a deal of fright as well. The adults were working at uh, CBS Radio. They were producing a program called the Mercury Theater of the Air. Uh, Orson Welles, who later became famous as an actor, was the director and the host of the program at the time, and he came up with a clever idea for Halloween. He decided to do a creative retelling of the War of the Worlds. That was a book written back in 1898 by British author H.G. Wells uh, about the invasion of a southern English town by Martians. Now, Orson Welles decided to recast the story for an American audience by making the invasion not of a southern town in England, but in New Jersey, telling telling the story as if it were happening at the time. The host interrupted the music broadcast with this news flash. Ladies and gentlemen, here's the latest bulletin from the Intercontinental Radio News. Toronto, Canada. Professor Morris of McGill University reported observing a total of three explosions on the planet Mars between the hours of 7.45 p.m. and 9.20 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. This confirms earlier reports received from American observatories. Now nearer home comes a special announcement from Trenton, New Jersey. It's reported that on 8.50 p.m., a huge flaming object believed to be a meteorite fell on a farm in the neighborhood of Grover Mills, New Jersey, 20 miles north are from Trenton. The flash in the sky was visible within a radius of several hundred miles, and the noise and the impact was heard as far north as Elizabeth. We have dispatched a special mobile unit to the scene, and we'll have our commentator, Carl Phillips, give us a, word, uh, a description as soon as he reaches there from Princeton. In the meantime, we'll take you back to the Hotel Martinet in Brooklyn, where Bobby Millett and his orchestra are offering programming music for tonight. Later, the reporter on the scene describes what he saw. It wasn't a meteorite, but a metal cylinder. The police are trying to keep back the crowds. Part of the cylinder, the head's starting to twist off. She's off! The top is loose! Look out there! Stand back! Ladies and gentlemen, this this is the most terrifying thing I have ever witnessed. Wait a minute! Someone's calling out of the hollow top! Someone or something, I, I, I can peer in, I can see it's black holes, two luminous discs. Are they eyes? It might be a face, it might be, good heavens, something's wiggling out of the shadow like a gray snake. Now there's another and another. They look like tentacles to me. The, the, I can see the thing's body, it's large, like, like a bear, it glistens like white leather. But the face, ladies and gentlemen, it's indescribable. I can hardly force myself to look at it. The eyes are black and gleam like a serpent. The, the mouth is V-shaped with saliva dripping from his rimless lips. And they quiver and pulsate. The monster, whatever it is, I can hardly, it can hardly move. It's, it's weighed down possibly by gravity or something. Now some of you are already scared, so don't even give me that. 
Now the radio station which broadcast the programs were small at the time. There's actually not that many people who were listening that night, but some who did were convinced there was indeed a real invasion coming in from outer space. Others tuning in a little bit later thought they were speaking about an invasion of German forces. Local police departments got calls from a number of people wanting to either confirm the reports or deny them, and if true, to gain more information on what they should do. Now, this whole episode would have resulted in just a few chuckles and some eye-rolling, but then the newspapers got wind of the incident and splashed across the front pages the next day were headlines like this, Radio Fakes Scares the Nation. Country is swept by hysteria over Martian invasion. Nation is panicked after radio drama taken for fact. Stories started to spread like wildfire, claiming that as a result of the broadcast, people had nervous breakdowns, others committed suicide, and panic and pandemonium broke out all over the country. As a result, there was calls for investigation and legal action to be taken against CBS and Orson Welles in particular. Well, there were several lawsuits, but the only one that ever succeeded was brought by a man who said that the money he had saved to buy a pair of shoes he spent on a train ticket to get out of town that day. He was awarded the amount equal to the price of the ticket. But despite the truth of that incident, the idea of nationwide panic as a result of this broadcast has become the stuff of urban legend. Joining those other American myths like alligators in the sewers in New York and razor blades and Halloween apples. Now folks, mankind does not have to worry about an invasion of little green men from Mars. But we should be very worried and concerned about the return of the warrior king from heaven. For at that time, Jesus will come and not only bring rescue to his people, but also wreak vengeance upon his enemies. Wrath and mercy in the day of the Lord. That's what we want to think about today. And to do so, we're going to pray and get into the text. Our Father and God, I do pray for grace and mercy as we look at this. Help us to understand both the gravity and the grace that's involved in Jesus' return. <coughs> So bless us now, we ask in his name. Amen. Now we've spent a lot of time in the last couple of weeks talking about the day of the Lord. And not surprisingly, because that's the theme of the book of Joel. Last week we saw how one of the events connected with the day of the Lord is the pouring out of the Spirit, the Holy Spirit on all mankind. But here the prophet speaks of great cosmic disturbances that will announce that day. And yet amazingly, promises that even in those days of terror, God still will hold out his offer of salvation to all who would call upon him. So I think we can outline this sermon with just simply two phrases. The first is the terrifying time, a terrifying time, and that's going to be 30 to 31. And second, a wonderful opportunity, and that's verse 32. A terrifying time. You know, I was talking to Preston. That's the man who does the um, recording for the radio station broadcast that we do. He mentioned that uh, one of the churches he served at in the 70s, the previous pastor had left his sermon manuscripts behind when he moved on. And some of those were from the 1940s, preached during the height of World War II. He said the pastor was telling the people at the time that Hitler was the Antichrist and that we were living in the last days. Now, Hitler was a Antichrist, but he was not the Antichrist. World War II was terrifying, but it was not the end times. But you know, I think God has arranged the events of history in such a way that every generation could look around and plausibly believe theirs would be the last. Well, there were some developments that have come in our day, though, that indicate that the end times may be drawing very near upon us. Let me give you a couple of them. How about this one? The fact that the Jews are back in the land. The Jews are back in the land. David Barron, who was raised an Orthodox Jew but later became a Christian, wrote a commentary on Zechariah back in 1918. 
Barron asserted in his commentary that the prophet predicted a day when Israel would be regathered back into their land to be reestablished as a nation. Now, there had not been a nation of Israel for 1,800 years, but he was convinced that that's what the scripture actually taught. And he suggested that perhaps the Sultan of Turkey would allow for it, or maybe the British would somehow be involved and they would grant that. Well, in 19, he died in 1926, and 22 years later, the nation was indeed reestablished. How about a second one? The Bible predicts that under the Antichrist, nobody will be able to buy or sell without receiving his mark either on their hand or in their forehead. Next News Network put out a YouTube story that I saw recently. It was entitled, It Begins, Mark of the Beast Goes Mainstream as Microchipping Humans Starts. You know how you can use your phone to go up and just pay for anything just by putting on it? Well, now they have chips that you can have inserted under your skin. You just wave your hand over the scanner and you're good to go. Creepier yet was the clip they showed in an interview with Klaus Schwab. He's the founder and the chairman of the World Economic Forum. That's the organization that holds their annual meetings in Davos, Switzerland, where they invite politicians and leaders of multinational companies to get together and discuss ways of consolidating their power in the world. They're the ones who are telling you that in the future you'll own nothing and yet you'll be happy. And instead of eating meat, you're going to be eating bugs. I'm not kidding about this. I've seen the packages for it. Well, in the video clip, Schwab is talking about microchips. He said it'll happen sometime in the next 10 years. He said this, quote, At first we'll implant them in our clothes, and then we can imagine we will implant them in our brains or in our skin. And in the end, maybe there will be a direct communication between our brains and the digital world. Now look at the pressure that was placed on people to get COVID shots. The Canadian government froze the, all the bank accounts of the truckers who were protesting against them. Is this one hard to believe? How about a third one? What does the Bible say about those two prophets, those witnesses that God sends in the last time? They not only preach the gospel, but they're able to do miracles, including calling fire down from heaven against their enemies. But after they finish their three and a half years of ministry, we're told that the beast which comes out of the abyss will make war with them and overcome them and kill them. And their dead bodies will lie in the streets of the great city, which is mystically called Sodom and Egypt, where also their Lord was crucified. Those <coughs> from the peoples and the tribes and the tongues of all the nations will look at their dead bodies for three and a half days. And they will not permit their dead bodies to be laid in a tomb. And those who dwell on the earth will rejoice over them and celebrate and will send gifts to one another because the two prophets who tormented them who dwell on the earth. Revelation 11, 7 to 10. Now, I want you to think about this. Commentators for years said, well, that has to be taken figuratively because there's no way that like the whole world could be looking at two dead bodies in Jerusalem. Really? With satellites and cell phones? The whole world could watch. How about a more general sign? Jesus said that according to him, in the last days, lawlessness will increase and the love of many will grow cold. Haven't we seen that happening even in our own country with mostly peaceful riots? We have mass shootings almost every week now, don't we? The Apostle John saw the terror of the end times. Events symbolized as four horsemen coming riding in. Listen to the words of the prophecy recorded in Revelation chapter 6. Then I saw when the Lamb broke one of the seven seals, and I heard one of the four living creatures saying with a voice of thunder, Come! And I looked, and behold, a white horse, and he who sat upon it had a bow, and a crown was given to him. And he went out conquering and to conquering. I believe this is the Antichrist. When he broke the second seal, I heard a second living creature say, Come! And another, a red horse, went out. And to him 
who sat on it, it was granted to take peace from the earth that men would slay one another with a great sword. And a great sword was given to him. When he broke the third seal, I heard a third living creature saying, Come, and I look, and behold, a black horse, and he who sat upon it. And he had a pair of scales in his hand. And I heard something like the voice from the center of the four living creatures saying, A quart of wheat for a denarius, and three quarts of barley for a denarius, and do not damage the oil and the wine. By the way, a denarius was a day's wage. And with a quart of wheat, you could make about a loaf of bread. It's talking about famine. When the lamb broke the fourth seal, I heard a voice of the fourth living creature say, Come. And I looked, and behold, an ashen horse, and he who sat on it, whose name was Death and Hades, and was following him. Authority was given over them, over a fourth of the earth, to kill with sword and with famine and with pestilence. That would be plagues and stuff like that. And by the wild beasts of the earth. When the Lamb broke the fifth seal, I saw underneath the altar the souls of those who had been slain for the word of God and because of their testimony that they had maintained. And they cried out with a loud voice, saying, How long, O Lord, holy and true, will you refrain from judging and avenging our blood on those who dwell on the earth? And there was given to each of them a white robe, and they were told that they should rest a little while longer until the number of their fellow servants and their brethren who were to be killed, even as they had been, would also be completed. Jesus, speaking of these dreadful days, said, For then there will be great tribulation, such as not occurred since the beginning of the world until then then or ever will unless those days are cut short no f- life would be saved but for the sake of the elect those days will be cut short Matthew 24 21 to 22 but before all that comes the day, day of the Lord all that comes before the day of the Lord for in the same chapter Jesus goes on to say this but immediately after the tribulation of those days the sun will be darkened the moon will not give its light the stars will fall from the sky and the powers of the heaven will be shaken, and then you'll see the Son of Man uh, appear in the sky, and then all the tribes of the earth will mourn, and they will see the Son of Man coming in the clouds of the sky with great power and glory. And he will send forth his angels with a great trumpet, and they will gather together his elect from the four winds from one end of the sky to the other. Now notice, it's that same language of cosmic disturbance that's used by Joel in our passage when he says this, I will display wonders in the uh, sky and on earth, blood and fire, columns of smoke. The sun will be turned into darkness and the moon into blood before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes. Now some commentators say that this description of cosmic disturbances is really only to be taken figuratively. Some argue that it's not speaking of astronomical signs, but rather of political turmoil. And it should be taken as merely poetic language because the moon isn't made of cheese and it's not going to turn to blood. They uh, also point out that similar language is used in Revelation 6.19 where it says the stars in the sky fall to the earth as a fig drops uh, ripe figs when shaken by a strong wind. Now, in comparison, by the way, if our sun was represented by a basketball, how big would the earth be in comparison? Like a golf ball, a softball, a baseball? Actually, it'd be a BB. The earth is 70 million times smaller than the sun is. And did you know that the largest star that we know of is 1,700 times larger than our sun? So obviously, the stars cannot fall to the earth. There wouldn't be an earth. But you know, the Greek word for star is star. (laughs) It comes into English the same. And it actually means any kind of heavenly body, and that would include comets and meteors. Could a meteorite fall to earth? 
Granted that we're using poetic language here, I think we should nevertheless see this as referring to actual physical phenomena. Jesus said in Luke 21 about this coming day, there will be signs in the sun and in the moon and the star and on the earth, dismay among the nations, in perplexity at the roaring of the sea and the waves, men fainting from fear of the expectation of things coming upon the world, for the powers of the heaven will be shaken, then they will see the Son of Man coming in the clouds with power and glory. But when you see these things take place, Straighten up and lift your head because your redemption is drawing near. Luke 21, 25 to 28. Now, some well-known Bible teachers would agree with everything I've said so far, but they would say, you know what? No Christian has to worry about these difficult days ahead because we're all going to be raptured out before they occur. God would never allow his people to go through such difficult times. Really? Well, then who are the martyrs that we just read about who are underneath the altar who paid with their life? I don't have time to show you why I believe the church does indeed go through the Great Tribulation, but if you're interested, you can find sermons. I did two sermons on the timing of the rapture, which is on sermonaudio.com. Well, whether we're here or not to experience this, there are going to be some believers here, and it's certainly going to be a terrifying time. And yet Jesus promised, Lo, I am with you always, even till the end of the age. That brings us to our second point, though. A wonderful opportunity. Have you ever had any wonderful opportunities come up in your life? When I wrote down that phrase, I thought about my son, Nathan. He was a good student when he was in high school here, and he decided he would go on to college. But college is very expensive, especially if you go to a private college. So one of the scholarships he applied for was called QuestBridge. If you get one of their scholarships, you get all four years of your college, a full free ride paid to one of 40 Ivy League schools. Now, he applied, and it came down to just him and a couple others, but he didn't get it. But they encouraged him to still apply at some of the colleges because sometimes for diversity's sake, they will take some kids from middle and lower income backgrounds, you know, people who have fathers who are pastors. And so Nathan applied at the University of Chicago, one of the top schools in the country. And I don't remember what the cost was at the time he was going there a few years ago, but I looked it up for two, uh, 2022. It's about $80,000 per year. Now, I would have had to work a lot of hours of overtime at the dairy to pay for that. But even uh, if you get, uh, the have the financial resources, 94% of all the students who apply there are turned down. But what a blessing. He was accepted. And the school gave him scholarships. The school's quite well endowed financially. Nathan said that the father of one of his friends there donated $200 million to the college. And in one night where they did a music concert, they were able to raise over a billion dollars for the school. Nathan graduated with just a couple thousand dollars of student loan debt. He got his degree in chemistry, but while he was there, he was able to audit classes from the master's program in business. He didn't get any credit for it, but uh, he was able to learn a lot. And uh, one time he went to an investment seminar, and while he was there, he struck up a conversation with a lady who was sitting next to him. And she asked him some questions and exchanged her number with him. Uh, what he didn't know at the time was that she was from the Guggenheim Investment Company. She called him a day later and asked if he'd be willing to fly out to California and take some tests to see how much he knew with the possibility of being offered a job. He did, and they hired him. Since then, he's moved on to a couple other companies, and he just got a new job now, which looks like it's going to be the best one so far. Not bad for a guy who gets a degree in chemistry and doesn't have a degree in the area where he works. Um, God has provided Nathan with a series of wonderful opportunities. 
Well, here in Joel's prophecy, there's an opportunity more wonderful than anything that he ever experienced. Despite the terror of that coming day and the impending wrath that's about to be poured out on the rebellious world, God at that time is still offering the opportunity for sinners to turn to him to be saved. Look what it says. And it will come about that whoever calls upon the name of the Lord will be delivered. For on Mount Zion and Jerusalem there will be those who escape, as the Lord has said, even among the survivors whom the Lord calls. What was the words of that song by James Taylor? When you're down and troubled and you need a helping hand and nothing, no nothing, is going right, close your eyes and think of me and I'll soon be there to brighten up even your darkest night. You just call on my name and you know wherever I am, I'll come running to see you again. Winter, spring, summer, and fall. All you have to do is call and I'll be there. You've got a friend. We sing songs, don't we, about Jesus being a friend of sinners. But more importantly, he's a savior to any sinner who would turn to him and call out. What does it mean to call out the name of the Lord? Well, in the context at that time, for the people of Israel, it'll mean calling out to the Lord to rescue them from the hands of the Antichrist. A couple of weeks ago, we learned about that terrible invasion that's going to come from an army from the north to devastate the land led by a man named Gog, who I believe is the Antichrist. Speaking of that future day of deliverance, Isaiah writes to Israel, it says, the Lord, it says, Lord, they came to you in their distress. When you disciplined them, they could barely whisper a prayer. I know what that prayer is going to be. Lord, save us. Zechariah 14, 3-5 says this, Then the Lord will go forth and fight against those nations as when he fights on a day of battle. In that day, his feet will stand on the Mount of Olives, which is in front of Jerusalem, on the east, and the Mount of Olives will split in the middle from east to west, a very large valley, so that half the mountain will be moved to the north and the other half will move to the south. You will flee by the mountain of the, my valley, for the Lord... Of the, uh, for the valley of the mountain will reach Azel. Yes, you will flee just as you fled before the earthquake in the days of Uzziah, king of Judah. Then the Lord, will, my God, will come and all of his holy ones with him. My, won't that be a shock for the people of Israel when God sends a rescuer and it's none other than Jesus, their Messiah that they've rejected for 20 centuries. And in that day I will set about to destroy all the nations that come against Jerusalem. And then... As it says in Zechariah 12, 10 to 14, I will pour out on the house of David and the inhabitants of Jerusalem the spirit of grace and supplication. So they'll look on me whom they've pierced and they will mourn for him as one mourns for an only son. And they will weep bitterly over him like the bitter weeping for a firstborn. In that day, there will be great mourning in Jerusalem like the mourning in Hadrimon in the plain of Megiddo. The land will mourn every family by itself, the family of the house of David by itself and their wives by themselves, the family of the house of Nathan by themselves and their wives by themselves, the family of the house of Levi by themselves and their wives by themselves, the family of the Shemites by themselves and their wives by themselves. All the families that remain, every family by itself and their wives by themselves. And it will come about that whoever calls upon the name of the Lord will be delivered. For on Mount Zion and Jerusalem, there will be those who escape. As the Lord has said, even among the survivors whom the Lord calls. Now I have to tell you, those difficult days that are coming are going to see a great harvest of people who get saved. We're told in 
Revelation chapter 7. It said, And these, after these things, I looked, John speaking, and behold, a great multitude which no one could count from every tribe and all tongues and people and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes and palm branches in their hands, and they crowd out in a loud voice, saying, Salvation belongs to our God and to him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. One of the elders who was there asked John if he knows who these people are. And John said, well, you know. And then the elder said this, these are the ones who come out of the great tribulation. They've washed their robes and they've made them white with the blood of the lamb. For this reason, they're before the throne of God and they serve him day and night in his temple. And he who sits on the throne spreads out his tabernacle over them. They will no longer hunger nor thirst for the sun beat down on them, nor there be any scorching heat for the lamb who's at the center of the throne will be their shepherd and will guide them to springs of water of life and God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. But you know what? Many people are not going to believe despite all of the wrath that's being poured out, despite all the suffering that they went through, they still won't bend. We read about this after, it says, a third of mankind was killed by the three plagues of fire and smoke and the brimstone which came out of their mouth. For the powers of the horses is in their mouths and in their tails. For their tails are like serpents that have heads and they do harm. Listen to this though. The rest of mankind who were not killed by these plagues did not repent of the works of their hands so as to stop, uh, uh, stop worshiping demons and idols of gold and silver and brass and stone and wood which can neither see nor hear nor walk. And they did not repent of their murders nor their witchcraft nor their sexual immoralities nor the theft. Revelation 9, 19 to 29. Well, those who, are call, who call upon the Lord are the ones who will be saved. But who are the ones who will call on the Lord? As many as the Lord calls to himself, Joel said. Those are the ones whose names are written in the Lamb's book of life before the foundation of the world, the ones the Bible calls the elect. Now some through the fire, or some through the water, some through the flood, some through the fire, but all through the blood. Some through great sorrow, but God gives a song, and in the night morning, and all the day long. All the elect will be called in. None will be missing. And that's not only true for Israel, that's also true for Gentiles as well. You remember what Jesus said in John 10, 16? He said, I have other sheep who are not of this fold. I must also bring them in so that they may hear my voice and they will become one flock with one shepherd. And Paul reminds us in Romans that for the scripture says, whoever believes on him will not be disappointed. For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek. For the Lord, same Lord is Lord of all, abounding in riches for all who call upon him. Let me ask you a question as we close up. Have you done that? Have you called upon the Lord? There's nobody else who can rec rescue you from the wrath of God to come. If you're not a Christian, you need saving. And there's only one Savior. Put down your arms. Call off the rebellion. Resistance is futile. It can only end in defeat. But if you surrender and swear allegiance to King Jesus, he'll not only pardon you of your treason, but also make you part of his army and his treasured possession. Don't wait for God to pour out his wrath. Seek his mercy. Seek it today. May God give you the grace. May God call you.
to himself. Let's pray. Our Father in God, you know, these things, sounds like a bad science fiction movie. But it's not science fiction. This is prophecy that was inspired by your spirit, and these things must certainly come to pass. And Lord, it may not be long from now. I think about even that issue about control of the money supply. I read just yesterday that as early as next year, the U.S. uh, government is going to put out digital currency. It's going to be a short time between putting that out and requiring that everybody uses it. And then, Lord, they will have control of the entire money supply. But Father and God, we know that whatever lies ahead for us, um, your son promised to be with us, and he will never leave us or forsake us. And for that, we can be confident. But certainly, Jesus told us, when you see these things start to take place, look up for your redemption draws near. So help us to be done with sin. Help us to keep strong in our faith and help us to look forward to the return of Jesus Christ so that we would be ready and pleasing to him when he returns. So bless us now, we ask in Christ's name. Amen.